0: Follow us on Twitter at A-R-G-L-B-O-R-O. Anarchism and Elections by Benjamin Franks One of the key features of anarchism, which is used to demarcate it from other socialist movements, has been anarchism's steadfast refusal to participate in electoral politics. Indeed, this very refusal to participate in elections has often been used as a synonym for anarchism. Such a portrayal is pretty much accurate and I will outline many of the powerful arguments that anarchists have used in support of anti-electoralism. However, I'll also cover a small but significant set of anarchist engagements with constitutional politics identifying a few versions which are not down to poor reasoning or weakness of will but are consistent with the main features of anarchism so let's cover the standard interrelated reasons for anarchist anti electoralism the first of these reasons for anarchist rejection of elections is that representative democracy is hierarchical and oppressive the second is that because of fluidity of power, state power is never sufficient. Third, that there are failures of electoralism. And fourth, that there are better alternatives to electoral politics. These are not the only arguments, but they are ways that are pervasive both historically and geographically, and have been embodied in anarchist anti-electoral campaigns from the 1870s, such as the Radical Democrats in the US, the Vote Nobody campaigns of the 1960s and 70s, uh, Melbourne's anti-elections forums in the 1980s, to more recent UK campaigns like the Anti-Elections Alliance and Angry Not Apathetic. So let's have a look at the first argument. The representative democracy is hierarchical and oppressive. The first, that uh, by electing representatives, you are creating a hierarchy of the ruled and the rulers. A point that has been made repeatedly by anarchist critics, from Michael Bakunin to Emma Goldman and to Crime Think of Today. They argue that representative democracy allows wrong group to develop the powers of leadership. They have access to restricted knowledge and become viewed and view themselves as special and more important. And they quickly rely on other institutions of power, business, military and military, uh, media, to maintain control and achieve policy outcomes. The majority group, the unelected, become inculcated into subservience and lie outside the networks of influence. Such that it's not unusual for ordinary members of the voting classes to become uninterested in issues that directly affect them because it's not within their power to change anything. It's up to the rulers to decide. Rudolf Rocker, a veteran anarcho-syndicalist, highlighted a problem with any form of representative structure. It provides a layer of management to take decisions on behalf of other individuals, and thus these other individuals lose the ability to develop the skills for self-organisation. The second argument is around the fluidity and diversity of power. Concentrating on just the operations of a democratic state, misses where power actually operates. Liberal democratic theory considers the state to be the final arbiter, Winning control of a state allows for a legitimate change to the norms that govern society, including economic ones. This is a view shared by revolutionary socialists, who think by gaining state power they can enforce benign social change. Anarchists, both past and present, take a different view. There are multiple forms of power. Uh, the veteran Spanish anarchist Thomas Idenes, referring to Michael Foucault, calls this governmentality. State power operates not just through the institutions of coercion, but by normalising particular values. As the state operates through coercion and hierarchy in their dealings with wider society, these norms and identities necessarily reflect that. As such, the state cannot be used to make deep, egalitarian and libertarian social change. If a government does try to make changes that impact on hierarchies of other forms of power, then the government will be subverted or overthrown by the social, military and economic institutions it requires in order to operate. Examples are Ilande's government in Chile in 1973 or the Spanish Republic in 1936. Even the moderate social democratic government under Harold Wilson in the UK faced threats of internal subversion from the security forces and capital flights from business. Thus concentrating on winning state power ignores the location of other forms of repressive institutional control. The third criticism is a reversal of the criticism usually made against anarchists that revolutionary transformation is impossible, while social democratic change is possible. However, as John Holloway points out in a brief survey of state seizure and uh, social democratic government, he concludes that their record is no different from pro-capitalist governments to such an extent that most social democratic parties have long since abandoned any pretension to be bearers of radical reform. The anarchists therefore argue it is more impossible to expect change through social democratic change than through revolutionary change. The fourth argument is about the effectiveness of alternatives. The flip side to the condemnation of electoral failure is to point to the effectiveness of alternatives. However, what constitutes success is obviously contentious and ideologically produced. But not only do anarchist actions, whether through mutual aid groups or direct action, have a record of achievement, albeit sometimes short-lived, they are also enjoyable and life-enhancing in ways that subservience to party machinery invariably lacks. However, roused anti-electoralism remains, with good reasons, a core feature of anarchism, there have been instances of anarchist engagement in electoralism. There were four categories of anarchist engagements in constitutionalism. One, the lesser evil form. Secondly, the radical social democratic or structural reformist form. Third, the Sinn Fein option. And fourth, guerrilla activism. These four positions are not absolutely discrete, but can bleed into one another. The first, the lesser evil, or the minor engagement in constitutionalism, is perhaps the best known and most widely practised. In the UK and USA, legislative elections are plural rather than proportional. So, electors will often choose not the candidate they most want to win, as they may be too marginal to have any chance of electoral success, but opt for the candidate who is the lesser evil of the few, usually two candidates, who is most likely to win. Examples of this type of argument come from Noam Chomsky, calling for votes for the barely social democratic candidates like Hillary Clinton and later Joe Biden to defeat Donald Trump, and radicals voting for Corbyn, and prior to that Miliband, uh, against the Tories in 2015, 2017, and 2019. There are plenty of precursors. The CNT, just prior to the Spanish Civil War, debated the lesser evil of abandoning abstentionism and supporting the Social uh, Democrats against authoritarian reaction. But even though the official abstentionist position remained officially in place, as Vernon Richards reports, members of the CNT voted at the election of 1936 in large numbers. This resulted in the Republicans and Social Democrats returning to power. Lesser evilism to this day is associated with still, still associated with stopping the far right. Protecting democracy over authoritarianism aligns with Bakunin's point that while all states are oppressive and should be opposed, some state forms are more pernicious than others. Capitalist democracy is preferable to fascist tyranny. Whilst highlighting high abstention rates might lessen democratic legitimacy, anti-voting campaigns have little impact. Elections often have High abstention rates with 60%, sometimes as high as 85% of the electorate, not bothering to vote. In most general elections, including the last one in the UK, non voters far outnumbered the total of people who voted for the victorious party. None of these prevent a candidate being elected and exercising power. Extension campaigns on their own do very little to impact on state legitimacy. On top of that, there is very little evidence to indicate anarchist abstention campaigns do influence electoral turnout and indeed might even be counterproductive. As Carol Gallus' work in the Journal of Elections, Public Opinion and Parties back in 2014 suggests, such campaigns often remind the electorate of an election and their civil duty. Nonetheless, anarchists Stanley regard participating in the, the vote as a violation of principle as it ports for hierarchies of electoral politics and appears to legitimise structures of domination. By engaging in lesser evil voting, opponents argue that it leads to the slippery slope of more overt electoral support. After all, if a lesser evil is acceptable, why not? campaign for it or raise funds for that party, even directly join the Social Democratic Party in order to enhance electoral success over the greater evil. Yet such slippery slopes are invariably fallacious most non-anarchists with varying degrees of enthusiasm vote in elections without ever joining or assisting a political party in any other way, so it seemed odd to assume that anarchists are more prone to slide down the slippery slope. A brief visit to the polling booth, whilst doing little uh, to enable the participatory social change anarchists seek, will not disrupt those few sites where anti-hierarchical direct action is taking place. Though when lesser evilism extends into far more support for state representative politics, requiring intellectual and physical labour, and that resource could be better dedicated to direct action, then it could become a problem there. The second form of engagement is radical social democracy or structural reformism. This is, the far more, this is far more familiar uh, as it is the main form of socialist politics nowadays. Their aim to use electoral participation and the representative electoral party to bring about more egalitarian social change. Other activism might be acceptable, such as trade unionism, but these are secondary to electoral goals. The last 15 years has seen a number of converts from anarchist positions to social democracy, frustrated at the impasse reached by direct action movements. In Spain and Greece, these arose from the street, direct action anti-austerity movements. They set up participatory parties such as Syriza and Podemos with horizontal democratic structures to choose candidates and policies to replace the hierarchies of representative government, with systems of accessible and participatory decision-making. These groupings were enthusiastic about the way social media could encourage greater social participation and debate. However, these radical changes would be achieved through the constitutional process. Critics point out these participatory and horizontal forms of organising um, offered little that was new. Bar the application of new ICT, which other more reactionary parties were quickly adopting with growing effectiveness and corporate support, such as Donald Trump's treats and the alt-right's domination of so many social media platforms. The hopes of radical social democracy has largely faded because of the poor track record of these new parties imposed more austerity, which they had been elected to end. Podemos and the local parties entered into government with long standing political partners like the corrupt Spanish Social Democrats, and bar a few minor reforms, largely helped to sustain the capitalist economy while drawing material support away from street based direct action. These parties quickly transformed into the very Forms of party they had set to replace, developing efficient working relationships with the institutions of domination, the banks, business, police, and rejecting the popular movements they claimed to be supporting. The third form of anarchist engagement has been the Sinn Féin option. Named after the Irish Republican Party that stands for elections in the UK Parliament but refused to take its seats as it does not recognise UK rule over the six counties. It has also been used by some Dutch countercultural radicals such as the Kaboteurs and Provost in the 1960s and 70s. The Sinn Féin option involved standing in elections in order to provide revolutionary groups with the opportunity to highlight the oppressive features of capitalism and test the broader acceptability of revolutionary ideas. The elected representatives act as spokespeople for the revolutionary cause but refuse to take their seats in the legislature or participate in government. Electoral success adds to the legitimacy of the revolutionary cause and further boosts its popularity. There is much to recommend, the tactic. It takes advantage of the space that is opened up for political conversation that elections provide. It's hard for even seasoned activists to knock on a stranger's door and ask them to participate in legally dubious direct action, but it's a far more easy conversation starter to canvas for a vote. The tactic also avoids those elected taking over the role of being order-givers. They refuse to participate in government. There are, however, problems with this method. One of these most significant weaknesses is due to seeking legitimacy through the ballot box. What matters is the electoral vote rather than building and participating in radical alternatives to capitalism. This leads to a further problem as the types of political organisation this requires is itself highly hierarchical. It requires recognisable media-friendly spokespeople who, when elected, can use the opportunities to voice the party's case for radical change. These elected representatives might not take legislative power, but by participating in the electoral process, they enter into the fame economy, where being well-known provides them with additional power and influence. The revolutionary anti-representationalism of, Sinn Féin, of the Sinn Féin option also faces the problem of the slippery slope. Those elected on such bases are often pressured to take electoral positions and use their influence in Parliament to support legis- legislative social reforms. If there is a vote go- on going to war or the abolition of abortion rights, it's hard for the elected representative to simply abstain and allow oppressive legislation to pass, which they might have prevented. If they succumb to this pressure, then they become little more than radical social democrats. If they fail to do so, they appear to be responsible for a policy they could have stopped. The final form in which anarchist engagements in electoralism take place is guerrilla activism. This is the one most consistent with anarchist principle. Like the Sinn Féin option and contrary to radical social democracy, this tactic rejects working within the existing system to bring about change. However, unlike the Sinn Féin option, guerrilla activism in its purest form does not seek votes but uses the opportunities of the electoral process to critique and satirise the democratic capitalist state and instead promote direct action. Rather than provide just humorous interlude from serious politics, as with certain joke parties and candidates, like the Monster Raving Loony Party or Lord Buckethead, guerrilla activists like the Anarchist Abstentionists Promote alternatives that are outside and against capitalist democratic institutions. Class Wars 2015, a general election campaign, provides a good example of guerrilla activism. Election campaigns provide opportunities for largely marginalised viewpoints to gain some exposure in the national and local press. Class Wars candidate Adam Clough Clifford for example, appeared on one of the more memorable episodes of the BBC's Daily Politics show. They used the platform to make many of the key anarchist critiques of representative democracy, including uh, including the promotion of alternatives through extra-parliamentary direct action. Appearing alongside establishment candidates, including the soon-to-be Prime Minister Theresa May, they could voice their hatred directly at the political ruling class. Guerrilla activism, unlike the Sinn Féin option, does not seek to become the main representatives of the views of others. It also rejects notions of legitimacy through the parliamentary process. It prioritises reactions of the oppressed acting for themselves outside of parliament and independent of any managerial class. Andy Bennett, Class War's candidate for Litchfield, used his candidate interview with a local paper to explicitly call for people not to vote, including for himself. As such, this guerrilla method does not seek to get people elected and does not cre- create the hierarchy of representative represented, but is central to the Sinn Fein option. Instead, class royal candidates use the opportunities of election to advance the abstentionist critique of standard democratic politics and to promote direct action, such as campaigns against socially exclusive housing developments and in favour of squatting. Guerrilla activism, however, has its critics from within the standard abstentionist anarchist camp. Amongst the criticisms are, one, standing in elections draws resources away from direct action. After all, seven class royal candidates provided the state with £3,500 in lost electoral deposits alone. Two, guerrilla candidates can appear to be supporting structural reformism. Sometimes guerrilla candidates, such as class royal, promote eye-catching policies, such as lowering tax on beer or doubling benefits, in order to begin conversations it can appear as though they're offering reforms through the system and accepting the legitimacy of the representative state. The third criticism is that even guerrilla organisations generate hierarchies within the fame economy of publicly recognisable candidates who get greater access to voice their views. Such candidates are also at greater risk because of their overt public support for revolutionary anti-state change. There are replies to these criticisms. First, that if there were direct action campaigns going on that would benefit from the resources otherwise going on elections, then of course they wouldn't stand in the elections. But because there is so little going on, standing in elections can help promote the very minor direct actions which are going on and promote wider ones. Two. Yes, people can misunderstand the purpose of guerrilla campaigns, but they can also misunderstand direct action. The point is to make such guerrilla interventions as clear as possible. And three, yes, hierarchies do develop in guerrilla electoral groups, but these are not uncommon in standard anarchist direct action organisations. And just as in anarchist standard organisations, there are formal structures to try and flatten these hierarchies by Encouraging rotation of roles, so too you can encourage the rotation of candidates. Guerrilla electoral methods are the most consistent with anarchism, but not unproblematic. Such a tactic should be used sporadically, not least because their impact is lessened by familiarity. But guerrilla activism shares the abstentionist position that emancipatory social change does not occur primarily through engaging with the hierarchy of the state or party organisations. Where activists use this method, they should learn from the examples of the past, including identifying risks to candidates and the need for mutual care. If you're intrigued by this subject of anarchist electoralism and want to find out more, there are uh, my articles in Black Flag of Spring 2022 and a more theoretical account in the journal Theory in Action 13.1. If you can't find them, then just email me uh, benjamin.franks at glasgow.ac.uk. John Bigger has written an excellent account of, ex- of his experience of standing as an anarchist candidate in elections. If you Google Class War for the 2015 UK elections, Radicalism, Subversion and the Democratic Process, you should be able to access it. There is also a highly entertaining book by Ellen Bogart, Electoral Guerrilla Theatre, R- Radical Ridicule and Social Movements, which covers some forms of electoral subversion, From the mild to the revolutionary. Thank you for listening. To help others find anarchist essays, please rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're interested in anarchist ideas, why not check out the journal Anarchist Studies? For over 20 years, Anarchist Studies has been publishing original research on the history, theory, and practice of anarchism. For more information, visit www.lwbooks.co.uk forward slash anarchist studies.